Welcome to the NZ Sales and Marketing Insider, the podcast where we pull back the curtain and speak to the brains behind sales and marketing activity that has delivered real results. Get inspired and get actionable ideas by hearing what they did and how they did it. Brought to you by me, Ben Rose, along with Gorilla Technology. Welcome to another episode of the NZ Sales and Marketing Insider. I'm your host, Ben Rose, and today we're speaking to founder of power brand, Lewis Road Creamery, Peter Cullinane. The success that is the Lewis Road Creamery, founded a decade ago and now retailing multiple products around the world, and recently sold to current owners, Southern Pastures, is by no means Peter's first rodeo, nor his last. His storied career started in the ad industry with roles at various agencies locally and overseas, including four years as Chief Operating Officer for the Global Saatchi and Saatchi Group. With others, including legendary creative Kim Thorpe, Peter went on to found his own agency, Assignment Group. Having worked for years on the iconic brands belonging to others, Peter at this point decided to take what he'd learned in Adland to the next stage of his story as business owner, owner and founder. He went on to create the well-known Antipodes water brand and business, and then in 2012, Lewis Road Creamery. Peter has also served as board director for a number of well-known New Zealand entities, including NZME, Sanford and Sky City. And today, we're lucky enough to have Peter on the podcast to share just a little of what he's learned along the way. Welcome to the show, Peter. Thank you, Ben. So, Peter, let's, let's start by asking you, are you a marketer, a salesman, an entrepreneur, or all of the above? <laughs> I think, I think uh, probably more of a marketer than, than, than anything else, simply because it's something I've done more than anything else. Um, but I think uh, the difference between you know, sales and marketing is, is paper thin anyway, and I think it's very difficult um, you know, to be a marketer if you don't understand sales, and it's, and it's mm-hmm. impossible to be a salesman if you don't understand marketing. So I think those two uh, go hand in hand, actually, which no doubt we'll talk about. Uh, and on the entrepreneurial front, I think there are so many definitions of you know, what an entrepreneur is, but I think every so often you, you, you've got to hold yourself to account and, and uh, you know, put your theories to, to the test. Mm. So to the degree that I have done that, then that, that's the degree to which I would qualify as an as a entrepreneur. Well, I, I thought one of the things I found interesting about your, your time in Adland was you started off working for big agencies, Ogilvy and Mather and, and Saatchi's, advising clients on how to spend their budgets. Yeah. But then when you founded Assignment, you took a slightly different approach. Isn't that right? We did. And, and I think, uh, interestingly, I'm, a, I'm a, 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 I think a technical Luddite. So, so, you know, I was certainly not at the cutting edge of change from sort of mainstream media to, to digital mm-hmm. media, interestingly. But when we started Assignment, it, it was really driven through a frustration, I think, of having spent a life in advertising, you know, that, that old expression of the only tools you've got a, is a hammer that everything looks like a nail. Yeah, yeah. To thinking actually, so often the, that that's not the answer. Sometimes it's a brilliant answer, but mm. other times there are, you know, it's a it's a product issue, what's a... Right, it's right. a packaging issue. It's a it's a branding issue, or whatever. And so I think we just reached a stage where where we were more interested in a in taking a sort of a slightly wider perspective of issues than just thinking right, you know, 
what's your problem? Because yeah. the solution is advertising. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's yeah. how we started. And, and we were like babes in the wood, really, because um, because we weren't relying on the traditional advertising revenue model of, you know, mm. the more you spend, the more you earn. Yes. Uh, it, it was a fascinating period for us. And we did everything, um, you know, on a fee basis, which right. uh, which was breaking entirely new ground for us. But it gave us it gave us the opportunity, I think, to be um, to take a different attitude. And the attitude we took, and, I've, and I'm a big believer in it, is um, that really simple thing of, look, if this was my money, this is what I would do. Uh, and it's a, it's a very good approach, I think, to take, because it keeps you really honest, and it keeps you focused, and, and you know, having done the Lewis Road thing, um, you become aware of what it means to write a check, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. as opposed to suggest that someone else writes a check. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. And so you become much more sort of frugal, I think, and you think in, in one sense, and and more gobbledygook, but more multidimensional. You know, mm. you, look, you look for lots of solutions rather than just you know one or two tried and true. So, if you'd had your own businesses, your own products, um, would, do you think the advice you would give back at Ogilvy, back at Sarchi's, back at those agencies, do you think that would, that would be different advice? Um, I'm sort of now going back a bit, but I think the difference would be I'd. I would have had, and I think I would have had much more sympathy for what the client was going through. Mm. But interestingly, I'm not sure that the clients that we were dealing with were necessarily that in tune with with their whole business either. You know. Yes. So what happened, and and we were really, I think I was really lucky that that my entire time in advertising, which is sort of most of my career, was when advertising was actually a really good solution. Mm. A lot of the time, like it really yep. could make or break a brand. But interesting, that sort of change happened as I think the influence of advertising was waning. Yes. Um, and so it sort of forced me to think about the world differently, and and actually I think clients now think about the world entirely differently as well. I think the thing that I always enjoyed most, and, and it was one of our golden rules at assignment, is that we would, without sounding too grand, but we would only deal with the CEO and the next layer down. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so that we would never sort of get caught up in the, in the you know, just, just in the pure sort of marketing bubble. Because what I think used to happen, and to a degree still does, is is that marketing and and branding, given that they're sort of all wrapped up together, used to exist in a sort of quite a separate bubble to, yes, to the rest of a business, and particularly from sales. Mm-hmm. So uh, you would very rarely talk to a sales manager or director, or you know, you'd have no you'd have no sense really of 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 the issues that they were facing because the brand lives sort of separate to the to the hurly burly of the day to day, you know, they're world. different things. Yeah, but of course they're not. No, they're, they no. are. They are. And one of the best insights I ever received was um, I was with Nick O'Rourke in a session that NZTE had organised uh, in the states with the ex CEO of Whole Foods, mm-hmm. and he had this expression, which I think is a Whole Foods expression, which is, "Look, it's all about the last eighteen inches." Um, so it's American, so he talks and you know, imperial, curiously, but. Um, but what he meant by that was it's, it's really, it all just comes together at the very end when a customer is reaching out to a shelf mm. and where does that hand go? Yes, yes. And so it's all the things that drive the hand from here to there, mm. you know, including where, it's, where, where, where a product is placed on the shelf, but also, you know, the look of the, you know, what the product itself is, what the packaging is, what the pricing is, uh, how well known it is, you know, all... All those things are in combination what, what makes a, a, a brand successful, not just 
you know, one element. Yeah. yeah. So I think yeah. that's, yeah. there you go. I think that's a big difference for me over the years. I've moved from a very, you know, very tight discipline of, mm. you know, communications to a much, to a yeah. much broader, hopefully, understanding of how it all works. Well, let's say two two examples yep. close to your heart. Let's, let's look at Antipodes and, mm. and let's talk about uh, Lewis Road uh, Creamery, chocolate yep. milk in particular. Yep. So I'll we'll start with Antipodes. So how 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 did that happen why do people now drink antipodes as you know one of their regular options in the higher end kind of category how did that come about um the, the story behind antipodes is um the hero of that story is a guy called simon woolley and simon uh was a sort of serial restaurateur in auckland back in the day and then he had a um a sort of a midlife not crisis, but I've like, like, you know, time yeah. for a change. Yeah. And so he took himself off to New York to, I think, Juilliard School, but one of the, one of the big acting right. um, colleges in New mm-hmm. York. Mm-hmm. And, and said he, you know, part of that was to live like a student. So, so, you know, so. Wow. So, so that's what he did. We were in New York at the time. I think that's a midlife crisis, isn't it? No, I think, I think <laughs> it's, it's certainly a midlife change, that's for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, my wife and I and, uh, and I were in, in New York at the time with, with Saatchi's. And so we, we spent quite a lot of time with Simon. And, uh, you know, it was, he, Simon's one of those incredibly generous people with, um, uh, you know, helping others and so on mm. and so forth. And not so good at helping himself. And right, so right. Um, when, he, when he came back to New Zealand, we... We decided that we'd have a, a session of a, you know, what can we do with Simon's session. And so we actually had it at um, a holiday house in, in Hatipi in Tarpe. And it was literally, uh, at the time, uh, Simon, Kim Thorpe, my um, partner in crime, mm. for, you know, for, for, for many years. Howard Grieve, who's, who's another, you know, part of the, part of the Saatchi um, story and a fabulous creative director, uh, and I. And we spent um, the day talking about possible opportunities for Simon in in the in food, okay. which is his sort of strength. And a lot of the time was actually spent discussing a um, a wild caught tuna wow. opportunity. So we thought, um, <laughs> but, but we, we we you know it didn't prove to be that way. So so we it so we spent, quite hard. It was, uh, but <laughs> we spent a lot of the day talking about it. And and then towards the end, you know, when all else fails, you go out to dinner. So 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 we thought we'd head out to dinner and have a continue the chat and sort of in the prep for that before leaving Simon said you know one of the things that I've always wondered about is in my restaurant I was always serving you know French or Italian water and like why isn't there a New Zealand water Mm, mm. and so that was that was the insight and that's where that whole Antipodes story started and for Kim and and Howard Hargreave and I it was a chance really to think well you know we've We've done a lot of advising in the, in the time. Wouldn't it be good to put our, you know, our, our, our backs behind a, uh, an initiative like this? And if you can sell bottled water in New Zealand to a market that thinks all water is, you know, absolutely, is, is absolutely pure here, then you know that's a good test. Yeah. Um, and that's how it started. And how how did you how did you persuade restaurateurs to to offer it to their clients? Simon Simon was incredibly persuasive because he highly personal guy. He's 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 sort of you know loved within the within the industry, and so uh, there was a reasonable degree of openness to mm. oh, well, we'll give it a go. 
That said, when we this, this story could go on forever, by the way. But but when we um, selected the bottle, mm. um, Simon and I had gone out to various bottle importers and and got all sorts of various shaped bottles and things. And there's a real you know in theory there's a real science behind a water bottle. Okay. Um, you know it should be green. It should be a, uh, if it's carbonated and it should be in a tapered neck and it should. Okay. So anyway, so so we had this meeting with um, Kim and Howard and Simon and I and. A designer called Len Cheeseman, right. who and Len Len was one of, if not the world's best typographers, mm. uh, and he was, so we were lucky enough to get him out of London, Versace's. Um, fabulous, fabulous design. But anyway, so all these bottles were lined up on our because it, it was in our apartment um, on the on the dining room table, and you know the, the the likely candidates in the four, and the, here was this you know the Antipodes bottle was the ugly duckling in the middle of, right, the, of right. the pack somewhere or other, yeah, yeah, um, and it was Len who said, oh, I like that one, mm. and it was a so we thought, oh, that's interesting. So uh, at lunchtime um, during that session, we went down to. I think it was Solvar, which is sort of quite close to where we are, and took the bottle with us. Right. And and um, and the waitress who was we had it on the table looked at it. Oh, I don't like that. That that bottle is, you know, because we said, you know, I don't know. I think we sort of ran the idea past her. Yeah. And she said, Oh no, that's it's way too big. It doesn't fit in my hand properly. Mm. So actually, it was a. It really didn't have a lot going for it, other yeah. than it was iconic. Yes. Um, and as it turns out, you know, an inspired choice. So you did. You actually did some testing, but just no. We tested it with one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> with one person who said they didn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> so enough of that market research stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah quite right. Quite right. Okay, so so now let's talk about Lewis Road Creamery. Yep. Um, what, what I'm interested particularly in is the chocolate milk and the success of that, and and what what led to the success of that because. That was back in 2014, I believe. Yeah, I don't know. Yes, it probably. was madness. There were yeah. security guards yeah. on fridges and planes being flown in and yeah. all sorts. So what led to the success of chocolate milk? You know, I, and I need to be a little bit careful now because, you know, I'm not part of mm. Lewis Road anymore, so I can't mm. speak on behalf of Lewis Road, etc. Yes. But What's your personal view of this? My personal view <laughs> uh, is I'm a huge believer in serendipity. You know, I, I think sometimes just sort of magical things happen. Mm. They happen... You know, serendipity happens when, when I think you work pretty hard at it, um, and and things just connect. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this is not a new story, but the but this but the story was I was having lunch with the owners of Farrow's, and we were talking about um, you know our white milks, mm-hmm. which we were trying to get you know yep. uh, into retail, and um, one of the Farrow team, uh, Janine or James, and and. and and I think it was, who knows, it was one of the two. I, I, um, we'll credit them both. Yeah, I would credit them both. I think that would be appropriate. Um, said, look, this, this white milk's all well and good, but why, why, couldn't we, why, why couldn't we have a chocolate milk? I love chocolate milk. And so, you know, as you would, um, I said, well, of course we could do a chocolate milk. And then I had worked um, at Saatchi's and Assignment. We had Whitaker's as a, as right. a client. So right. a long, long, long yep. time client. And so I rang Holly Whitaker, who mm. was who, who's now I think joint CEO or CEO officer, or I think, no, I think running the, right, running right, the joint right. with, okay. a, with a brother. But mm. um, at the time was yeah was marketing. But anyway, I rang Holly and said, "Look, Holly, I, I'm, I'm thinking about doing a chocolate milk, and if we do it, I'd love to do it with you." And she really kindly said, "No, no, I think no, no we we can do that. We can do that." And Again, as it turns out, talking to the to, talking to the people who who, who bottled 
um, all our milks. Their view was, you know, one, that chocolate milk would never work. And secondly, if it did work, it's got to be really cheap. Right, um, right. So neither of those sort of worked for me. No. Oh, and the third thing was that the way that most flavoured milks are made is with a, is with a liquid. Okay. Uh, you know, you put a liquid... Syrup Strawberry syrupy thing right, or whatever. Right. But their equipment could only handle powders. Okay. But as it turns out, the only thing that Whitakers could supply us with was a powder. Um, Serendipity. Because they had just invested millions in a new chocolate contra machine that, that, that actually produces a powder before it. Fabulous. So, so it, was, it was, you know, again, it was, you, you couldn't have invented a, a more, mm-hmm. you know, a better fit of, of, of things. So... Um, literally, we took pure um, Whitaker's chocolate straight off the straight off the line. If it wasn't coming to us, it would go straight into a into a pack of, of chocolate. Um, and the, again, you know, this is always slightly debated, but the, the amount of development time was probably no more than a couple of weeks because wow. there was essentially nothing more than how much powder did we put into milk. <laughs> right, right. Um, but that was literally. Um, taking a bottle of milk and adding the powder and shaking it and and doing little you know samples in the office. So why did it, so why did it go crazy? So it went crazy because there are always someone else has always done everything first. So I'd never claimed you know that, that it was but it was the first sort of I think anyway for a reasonable amount of time it was the first sort of significant hearing of two brands that were that were right in the sort of the, you know, the zeitgeist. Yes. Um, Whitakers had been there for a long time and, mm-hmm. and we were absolutely the new boys on the block. Mm. But the brand started just as social media was really starting to, to you know, to pick up. And yep. so we, yep. we, had a, we had an extraordinary sort of follower growth. Mm-hmm. So we were very, very, very current. And then all of a sudden that comes together with a brand that is always very very current and importantly which i'm sure we'll get on to the product itself was brilliant like you know it, it was a it's a beautiful product so it had sort of everything going for it all at the same moment so, so what's your what's your um your approach to you know product as part of part of a brand so i i think in uh you know having said i've been really slow you know with all things digital mm. i'm certainly <laughs> wouldn't say i'm at the cutting edge but 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 um, social media has sort of is, has completely changed the rules of the way that marketing is best implemented. And for me now, the product is has never been more important. In the past, a product, as long as it was sort of, you know, about par with its competition, mm-hmm. that was sort of good enough because actually the the way that you branded it and promoted it could absolutely make the difference between a also ran and a market leader. Right. But but with um, social media and people's ability to talk to their peers and look at reviews and everything else, whether the product is good or not is much more important, actually, than it, than it ever was before. So I'm sort of losing the thread of where I was going on this. But I, but I think that as people have more access to information... They get to the answers faster, yeah. and so yeah. they get to the yeah. truth faster, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and the truth will out. So if the product is great, chances are it'll 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 rise to the top, and if it if, if it isn't, it'll sink to the bottom. And with Lewis Road, you've always focused on the products yeah. first of all. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm just a huge believer in it. And and there was a I forget who wrote the book, but it was one of the great London advertising doyens of the of the eighties. 
it was like you know it was one of those greats and he re he wrote a book called something like you know the day the pigs led the consumer to market or some such title <laughs> right but in it um he said when they when they're sitting around looking at a at a at a at a, at a product this mm. is when he was mm. in a agency in London, yep. they would interrogate the product to death. And, and, and it was a lesson, so that's where I learned that lesson. Mm -hmm. And I'm a huge believer in it, which is, you know, that marketing and branding and advertising and everything else can substitute for a, for a product, but the truth is normally within the product itself. And so, you know, like literally wherever possible, when you're talking about a product, you know, and, and it's possible, like hold it in your hand or have mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. You know, stupid things like read the label, like just just you know sample it, drink because there's something in the in the product itself always, and it just stands to reason for me that the better the product is, the greater the the, the truth within it. So yes. so, yeah. I, and you know people have made fortunes doing knockoffs and everything else. It's just that doesn't and I've, you know good on them. It's you know I like a genuine product and I yeah. and I love yeah. you know I love really good product. I do you know personally just love. Um, I love the sort of the effort and the energy and the history mm. and everything else that goes into making a making a really good product, you know, be it a watch or a or a or a car or a bottle of milk. So is that what's next? Watch a the bottle car. of car. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a watch or a car. Mm. I think. Um, I think that might have been done already. I think it might have been done. No, <laughs> not necessarily that well. And you know, and when you see Elon Musk do do it, yeah, you know, it just absolutely. You know, that is extraordinary. Like how, how the hell that all works. The car is. Know. Digital yeah. device, yeah, but actually being able to enter a market that mm. is, that, that that requires such huge resources, I've, mm. I I can't get my head around it, um, but I'm you know I'm in awe of it. One of the things that um, listeners will have heard already is you talk a lot about serendipity and about people you happened to talk to and conversations you had over lunch and dinner. How serendipitous is that, or how how deliberate have you been? about surrounding yourself in, with the right people through your career? Um, a bit of both, but I, but I have been, I've been incredibly lucky from early on with the, with the people I've worked with. And if I hadn't been, I could have gone you know, completely off the road, like God knows what, the, what my career would have been. But, but when I sort of started seriously in the business, I started with, with Ogilvy & Mather, which at the time was, was one of the first sort of truly professional, mm -hmm. um, you know, advertising agencies to, to enter the country. So going back a long time. But but my boss at that time was a guy called um, Rennie Cunnock, who was a you know an Oxford grad and a da -da 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 -da. and just sort of elevated the whole conversation to a like to a to a degree of sort of, you know, professionalism yep. if you like. That yep. that that was a fabulous building block for me. And then had you aimed to get into Ogilvy? Because yeah, they were known absolutely. as being very buttoned down and, you know, very... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that. a, and that's a long story. But I... Because I, I started... I, I actually started in, in, uh, with a company called Dorma Vec, uh, which was a New Zealand um, company um, that ultimately became Saatchi's. Um, and then... And then I, I, I moved from... Uh, and so that's when I um, I was working on the Griffin's account, which is right, 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 and um, Ogilvy's had a piece of it as well. And one of the guys was in a meeting that I was in, and he said, "I'll give you a drive back." Um, and he was this in the this is way back in the days, but he, he I remember he was driving a TR6, which you know was a truck, which is a you know for its day was, Triumph, a, was a bloody yeah, good sports car. <laughs> I thought, oh, this is this <laughs> is good. This is this is this is the right direction. Um, and he actually organised an interview. He said, "I think you should come and meet our guys and things." And so that's how I got invited in. Right. 
Um, and in those days, it was a sort of an invitation-only agency. It was, mm -hmm. a, it was a remarkable... Um, but it just puts you in a good company. And it just, you know, it just make, it brings you up to speed really quickly. Yes. Uh, then I worked for um, an agency called Mackay King, mm -hmm. uh, which was a New Zealand agency um, that had been started after, after the war by Lou King. Uh, but was, when I joined, it was run by Terry King. And I think Terry... Um, was incredibly influential again for me, and, you know. And I sort of the more I reflect on it, I think the more I learnt um, from Terry and that time mm. was brilliant. Um, and and that went from being a sort of a you know small to middle ranking local agency to by the time we sold to Saatchi's, it was I think like number two or three. It was and and it was on a real roll. Wow, um, and doing fabulous work. Um, and again, um, Kim Thorpe had joined at that time. The uh, creative director in Auckland was a guy called um, Roy Mears, who mm -hmm. uh, went on to found Mears Tain. Absolutely fabulous um, creative director, as was Jeremy. Yep. Um, and we made the decision that well, if we're going to sell, we're only going to sell um, to Saatchi's. So that was our that was our right. that was our call. And so um, Terry and I got on a plane and went to see literally went to see Saatchi's. Did you? And. Um, we didn't deal with the with the brothers actually. Mm. I wish we had just just for the storytelling totally. point of view. But, yeah. but we did deal with um, a guy called Auburn Lloyd, who remains a great friend uh, to this day. Um, and we see every time we go to um, that neck of the woods, we catch up with Auburn. Um, uh, and I, we were sort of the last significant deal that, that Saatchi's did really before. Uh, you know, before they started imploding with, with before they bought Midland Bank, I think, didn't they? Yeah, well, they made a they made a crack at it, mm -hmm. um, but it, it just all sort of got out of yeah. <laughs> got out of hand. I think when you when you're trying ambition. to buy a buy a bank, oh, it's what you know. a hoot! You know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think that's called Schutzbar. But, <laughs> um, but they were they were you know uh, that that was a fabulous agency, and mm. then and then we Terry left sort of almost immediately, really, when that deal was done, and so I inherited. Um, you know the, the role of running, running the combined operation in New mm. Zealand. We had to sort of combine the two, because Saatchi's already existed in New Zealand, so it was yep, sort of yep. quite quite an interesting little thing. But anyway, we put all that together, and um, Saatchi's had a had an expression which is, "It's good to be big, it's better to be good, and it's best to be both." Um, right. And I love that expression, right. and that really was, um, I think, something we lived up to in New Zealand for you know I don't know. I, I, Certainly until, um, well, certainly the entire time I was there. But I was there with the likes of Roy and, 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 and Kim and H and, you know, just, just like a, anyone who was any good, you know, broadly speaking, was sort of working at Saatchi's, you know, and, during and, that and did, you, did you consciously think to yourself, you know, these are, these are relationships that are going to endure and these are people I want to work with again in the future? Yeah, I... I um, I've got two brothers, and I, you know, we we get on famously. And I was chatting to to one of them, Tim, who was saying, you know, that he had always, that he had sort of consciously separated work from friendship. Mm, mm. Um, and I've never done that. I always, I always, I think the two are sort of. You know, I like working with people. I like working with. So I don't like working with clients. I don't like. Yep. You know, I just yep. wouldn't do it. Yep. And, I, and I don't like working on products. I don't like. Mm. Um, and and that sort of influences a lot of what I do. But I think if you make so, but um, interestingly, all the great work, all the great campaigns, um, you know, that, that Saatchi produced over over a decade or more, 
almost all of them, and it sounds really frivolous in this day and age, but you can trace back to a, to a restaurant table because the, 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 that's when the sort of the sparky stuff happened. And it wasn't because it's like fueled by, um, <laughs> you know, by whatever. It's just because you were in, a, in an atmosphere where, where, where there was a lot of energy, you know, mm. around the table mm. to crack an idea. And I think that one of the lessons I learned always was, you know, we would never have uh, a lunch where, where you weren't talking about work. You know, work was... 110% the focus. So it wasn't just like a, you, you didn't have social lunches or mm, mm, or mm. anything. You, you, you lived and breathed what you were doing. Mm. But you tried to make the doing of it, you know, as, as, as enjoyable as possible. Because when you're in a positive, you know, obviously, when you're in a positive frame of mind, you just tend to do better. Which is why I think so many clients have struggled because, you know, they, they, they are in sterile buildings that are... You know, I can't imagine a single creative thought being sort of cracked somehow or other. So I've always been a big fan of making the surroundings you work in, no matter how humble, you know, as good as they can possibly be. And sort of just, just so you feel, just so you like being there, you know. Yep, so yep, if it, yep. it sort of gets you in the zone, if you like. But, but so, yeah, so serendipity is, um, is I think, just, just keeping a sort of a constant, keeping the, the, the mind open to opportunity, really, and mm. just think, oh, I tell you, it'd be great if we put that, you know, wouldn't it be great if boom, 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 just, you know, yes, yes. and putting those things together. I think in advertising as well, it's an absolute discipline. You need you, you to be sort of eclectic mm-hmm. because, you know, in the morning you could be talking about a banking product and then you'd be talking about feminine hygiene, then yep, you could be yep, talking yep. about cars or whatever. So, so you have to have a... Um, you know, a mind that's able to leap from one to the other. Yes. But then focus. But you do keep on making connections. You know that? Because well, Whitaker's and Lewis Road Creamery, there's... there's, there's well, there's, example, a, there's a perfect know. connection. Mm-hmm. There's a perfect connection. Um, I asked you at the beginning of the podcast whether you're a salesman, and you, you didn't really give me an answer, so I'd like an answer now. Because yep. uh, I'd like to talk about how you got Lewis Road Creamery into the US. Because, you know, here's, here's a small brand in a massive market... Um, how do you get listed in um, boutique retailers? How do you get into Whole Foods? How how did that happen? Um, from a you know from from your point of view, from not being in the US to actually yeah. listing there. Well, I think so. I have no problem with being a salesman. I think that's um, you know because if you can't sell, if you don't and if you don't understand, you know, if one can't sell and one doesn't understand how selling works, mm. it's impossible to imagine how. You, how you can use tools to effectively, you know, help the sales of anything. Yes. So I think you've yes. got you've got to embrace sales. You know, I think, and in and in you know my entire career really, I, uh, there were two there were two parts of it really. One, um, helping generate, you know, an idea, um, but secondly, selling it. You know, you've got to then convince the client that the idea is um, is the correct one. Which, which is tough when you've got an, an intangible concept yeah. and invariably it's new. Yeah. Those are both things that stand in your way. But, but it comes back to that, um, you know, the quality of the product thing. So what, I, what, I, what made it easy for me is I was never selling work from someone I didn't believe in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so you could never know you were right, you know, you could, you know, and sometimes you weren't. But, but I, and I, and I, you know, you only want to employ good people and then you, you, you want to empower them with the thought that, look, if we can't crack it, no one else can either. So don't feel bad about not being able to crack it. Yeah, yeah. But let's give it our best shot. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But you've got to know that you, you you are 
you know, you, you do have the best resource yes. and you are giving it your best shot. But if you do those two things. So selling, I think, is, is, is just an intrinsic part of doing a good, good job. And I enjoy it. You know, I love, I love seeing that sales closed. I love, mm. you know, I think a big part of my job um, in advertising was, was winning business. And I love doing that. You know, yeah. I, I, it's thoroughly enjoyable because you, you are gifting someone something as well. Absolutely. Um, so, so in terms of then applying that to, uh, to you know, getting into the, into the US, mm. you've, you've, you've got to go there. So, so trying to do it um, from New Zealand is, is virtually impossible. Yep. You know, it can be done, obviously, but it is really bloody hard. And there's nothing like turning up on someone's door, uh, which is, you know, the, the big breakthrough that we had back in those days was, and I was working really closely with um, Nico Rourke, who's, yep. you know, my partner in crime on, on various things, fabulous operator. And, and you know, we, we made a good little team in the, in, in the US. But if you're a Kiwi going to the US, you do come with an advantage, you know, that uh, not all Americans, obviously, but, but New Zealand has a, has a pretty good reputation. Yeah, yeah. And there's nothing like just getting, you know, literally back to the salesman thing, like just get a foot in the door, just get in the... Mm-hmm. And Nick and I would, like, celebrate, you know, if, if, if we got a meeting with... with, with Walmart, which we did, and you get, and and you get, you know, you go to the town where Walmart, you know, it's, which is which is owned by Walmart, mm-hmm. and you have a meeting with the key people and things. It's just like that's amazing, and it's just the, the reason it works is because if you're prepared to go all that way to Bentonville, yeah, you know, which yeah. is in the Ozarks, and yes. like it's, you know, you know, you're in the middle of <laughs> somewhere, um, they'll give you they'll give you half an hour. You used the word chutzpah before. I mean, that's that's it, isn't yeah. it? Just turning up and asking. Yeah, and and you and you don't, you know, you, I mean, you don't just walk in the door and mm. knock and say, you know, mm. could you see me? But 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 essentially, you 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 show a willingness to put in the effort. Yes. And then for an American client or whatever who are who are you know used to dealing with you know Procter and Gamble and blah, 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 someone coming from New Zealand is like, holy hell, this is different. Yeah. And yeah. and if nothing else, it's going to be an entertaining yeah. quarter of an hour to see you know what what these. These you know funny people from New Zealand are, yeah, are yeah, talking yeah. about. Yeah. So 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 it's there's absolutely the opportunity to do it, mm. and then it's just a matter of what you do with that opportunity. Did did you have did you have an in? Did you know anybody over there to start off with, or did you just go and make your own relationships? Um, on Whole Foods, on Whole Foods, we made our own relationship. On Walmart, we had a sort of a, a half of a half of an introduction. Through um, Greg Foran, who's now running, yeah, who I didn't know, but I spoke to, you know, someone who knew him because he was a Kiwi. Yeah, exactly. And he yeah. said, "Well, I can't help, but you know, I always love the idea of Kiwis doing well in the states." So, you know, fantastic. Talk to, talk to, you know, Joe Blog. So at least Joe Blogs knew. Yes. You know, there was some sort of connection, and, yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. at least they'll give me five minutes. Absolutely. Um, and yeah. we had a wonderful time. So, so if you if you look back over over the years of your career, the different businesses you've started and been involved with, what are you proudest of? Um, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm sort of fully into the looking back thing yet. I loved my time at Saatchi's when it was you know the biggest and best because I think that was like, that was a that was an amazing juggling act of mm. of elements. And I think Lewis Road was was for me. A, a really good sort of test of character, uh, amongst other things. So, so I love that. I sort of and I enjoyed that enormously. Um, so I think those, I think those would be the two 
those are the, the, the two things that stand out. And now you've you've started a new venture with uh, with a couple of couple of other partners in crime. I have, I have. I, one of them is uh, Nick O'Rourke, who, who yep. as you mentioned, was GM at um, at uh, Lewis Road. Mm. But before that, she was running uh, a division of Griffins. Right. And she has a food um, food tech and commerce degrees. Mm-hmm. But she is she, and I met her as a as a client at. at um, when, when we had assignment and Griffins were a client and she was like the young smart thing who was just like demonstrably capable like, right, and, right. and like, really bloody good um, so uh, Nick and I are, are working together and 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 the wild card for us is um, Michael Stiasny who mm-hmm. is a you know a storied money guy mm-hmm. and we think and so far it's proven to be so the combination of those three you know, we get on, we get on famously, and you know, Michael has a, you know, has a reputation as, as you know, he's been a receiver you know, right through the, yep. Yep. so so he's well known as like a, you know, like a like a like a serious guy to deal with, but he's a fabulous guy to deal with, and I think he's enjoying this is what we're doing now is of um, working with startups and in exchange for. You know, a piece of equity is giving them a sort of a year's a year's sort of serious effort on our part. Mm. Going back to look, if it was our money, yes, here's what we would do. Which is not to say that everyone will, of course, do what we would do, but it, but it's but it's normally helpful because somewhere between the three of us, we've we've probably encountered you know ninety out of the hundred issues they're going to face. But it's interesting. So 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 now you're. You're giving advice on what you would do if it were your money, and taking some skin in the game, yeah. which means your advice really is going to be the yeah. advice of an owner. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. So it's a lovely little, you know. Um, but I tell you, I've, I, having having been through that journey at Lewis Road, I absolutely understand what it's like to be faced with. I, I think when you start a, a, a new business, you're faced with with understanding how little you know about so much of what yeah. makes a business work. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. Like, Holy hell. Yeah. Um, and back to sales, one of the classics, um, and that was, you know, I'd, I'd done all this work to get this butter um, launch going, mm. and and the the the, the guys, um, um, Canary Foods, who who were who were going to make the butter for us, you know, everything was all signed up and we're all ready to go. And I said, but who's who's setting it for you? And I thought. Well, Hang about, and I've forgotten that bit. <laughs> literally, literally. You've forgotten that bit. <laughs> um, quite important. Because quite important. But actually, that's a really good example of just how removed mm. marketing and advertising is right, so right, often right. Yeah, from yeah, yeah, the hurly yeah. burly of, yes. of actually, you know, Who's going getting product into a retail and yeah. and making sure it sticks on the shelf. Yeah. Anyway, we solved that problem, but but it was at the time. Oh, that's right. I'm going to fix that. So, um, there we go. Peter, what, what, what do big companies know that small ones don't, or vice versa? I don't know if big companies... What big companies know they've got are the resources mm. to take a longer-term view of a, of a problem or opportunity. Yep. So, so they, can take a, they can take a bigger vision and they can invest, you know, they can bet more heavily against, you know, what they believe in. What, but with that... Um, so that's the upside. I think mm. the downside is that they are slow movers. What a small company can do, especially in FMCG, is you know it's fast moving consumer goods, is to be really fast moving and just keep like, just keep at it and just wake up every morning with a, a 
I know, yeah. And, and, and because you're only answerable to a, like a really small team mm. or to the mirror, um, those decisions are really fast. But, but the downside is the, the, the risks are greater because you don't have the, the, the wherewithal to, yep. to yep. withstand, you know, a siege. Yes, yeah. Or a, yeah. Or a full frontal attack or whatever it is, you know. So, so those those are two differences, but they're both fun. They're, Lewis, they're just Lewis Road had a few sieges, didn't it? That's yeah, we fun. did. We we had a um, monster with uh, with Fonterra. Mm, mm. Um, they I, they they were going to launch a similar milk, I believe, and well, and they did. They were going to take you out of supermarkets yeah, at one point. Yeah, and you know, I've got a lot of time for Fonterra. Actually, I had a lot of time for Fonterra before then, um, <laughs> and a lot of time for Fonterra since then, but not during then. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. And I think we were in the right, mm. but if we had gone and and I worked with um, a, um, a lawyer, a, an IP lawyer called Jenny Rutter, who I think is just a fabulous IP lawyer. And I I always think that you, you not sounding too grandiose, but in business you've got to think of all these things as weapons. You know, like advertising is a weapon that you should use. And and if you don't know sort of what effect it's meant to have, and if you don't know whether it's hitting the target, then you know. Same with IP, same with everything else. Anyway, mm-hmm. it turned out that um, if we took um, Fonterra to, to court, it would have been a, like a two-year battle and I would have just been drained of you know, yep. Yep. time, energy and money. Mm-hmm. And so then I went back to that very thing, of thinking, no, advertising is a weapon. And so I, I wrote a letter to, he's not there anymore, So it's, you know, it's, and, and, the, and the chairman, unfortunately, is now deceased, so I can, mm-hmm. I can, I can sort of <laughs> talk about them both. But I wrote a letter to them both. Right. Um, saying, you know, you, you should see... To the CEO assist. at the time. Yeah, to the CEO yeah, and the yeah. chair, saying, you know, you, this, what you're doing is unfair and mm. is not, you know, you should be supporting the industry rather than trying to kill innovation, blah, blah, knowing that I wouldn't get a response. Mm. So then I published that letter. Of course you did. As a, as a full-page letter. Of course you did. And I got a response, strangely enough. And so, you know, <laughs> that, that was... Yeah. 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 You yeah. couldn't do that too often. Yeah, yeah, no. But, I, but, I, but also that was like a life and death thing for me. So if I hadn't have done it, you know. You had to take the chance. Yeah. Um, but that's when I, that's when I, and I'm still a huge believer in full page ads in the newspaper. They still have, weirdly, an extraordinary impact way beyond their, their readership mm. value. Mm. And it's often hard to convince others of that. Now it seems, oh, no, 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 no. You know, it's, we're in the digital world, but actually, you know, a well placed piece of print still has a, still has a remarkable impact. It's something that people see together and they talk about, rather than you know yeah. seeing personalised versions on their on their phone. Yeah, and 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 it's always the power of the collective that makes things like that work. Mm. It's knowing that a whole lot of people are seeing something at the same time, mm. Mm. and that's the great. You know, well, you're onto another whole topic, but that's the strength and weakness of digital. You know, it's so one to one. Yes, that there's not the same sort of sense of not peer pressure, but of peer acceptance. Or yeah. you're not yeah. doing things as a you don't feel part of a group, so so you. It can be targeted and relevant, but people don't say, "Did you see that banner last night?" Yeah, exactly. You know? That was a great banner, wasn't yeah, that a clever yeah. banner? So that that's that sort of thing. So you don't have that sort of collective power. Peter, thank you. This has been really, really interesting discussion. Um, there's there's obviously lots to learn from from what you've gone through. If you were to leave our listeners with a single piece of advice, a piece of advice that they could wake up in the morning and action tomorrow, what would it be? Two things. <laughs> One I've mentioned before, this last, you know, if if it's anything to do with 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 a product that is that is bought on a shelf, then this remembering this power of the last eighteen inches, mm. I think, is just like a, a fabulous insight. And then I think the second thing is, and and actually I saw this really play out 
in, in the US, just how important a professional sales force is. Vastly important. And therefore, for me, just in the same way that, that was a, it was a terrible mistake, you know, driven by money, really, to separate, uh, back in the day, creative and media agencies mm-hmm. apart mm. because they're, they're not separate. They're one and the same. Same with sales and marketing. Um, and, you know, I would always have one person across both disciplines. I, I think the... Don't treat them as... as don't treat them as separate. They're, they're, they're just they're, they're different sides of the same coin. Um, uh, yeah, I think that's actually... A, um, uh, I seriously believe that. Uh, and I think that, that weirdly, sort of through the, through the 70s, 80s and 90s, and maybe even now, marketing is, is still in the ascendancy compared to sales. Mm-hmm. But actually sales is sort of where you make money. Put the two together and give sales, um, I think, more respect than, than, it, than it usually gets. Peter, thanks for your time. Really appreciate it. A pleasure, Ben. Thanks for listening to this episode of the NZ Sales and Marketing Insider. If you liked it, you can follow the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favourite podcast app for fortnightly episodes. For other great New Zealand podcasts, head over to podcasts.nz. And if it's IT expertise you're after, then make your way to gorillatechnology.com. See you next time.